0: You know, church, it might seem a little bit crazy uh, this morning. It is good to be back with you, though. It might seem a little bit crazy, but I want to talk to you this morning about worship. And I've, I've just had it in my heart to consider how do we adjust our worship now that we can't come together each Sunday and sing together? I know many of you are missing that, and I know that I am too. And I know if you ask my family that I'm sure that they would agree that me being at home singing in front of the TV is not the ideal situation. And I know that that's probably the same for, for many of you. We've, got to, we've just got to adjust these things. You know, years ago when I was in the police force, I did my first 10 years of service here in Brisbane. And one of the things I realised was as a copper in Brisbane, you're, you're anonymous. You can be, um, you could go to work, interview whoever you needed to, talk to whoever you needed to, arrest whoever you needed to, and there was very little likelihood that that person who you spoke to would ever turn up in your personal life. So you could almost live in little compartments. You know, there was, there was work over here and there was personal life over here and they never collided. And that was, that was good for a long time, but the first thing I, re- I realised when you moved to the country was that you couldn't do that. Uh, For example, in a small town, the person who you spoke to outside the hotel late one night was sometimes the person who served you at the supermarket the next day with your kids. The person who you pulled over and and talked to to about their manner of driving was the person who maybe uh, was employed at the kids' daycare centre. The person who you uh, spoke to about a noisy party was the person whose help you needed from the council the next day. So what I, what I realized was that regardless of whether you liked it or not, regardless of how much, we, how much I thought I was on duty and then I was off duty, the reality was that I was always on duty. And I think when, we, when it comes to adjusting our thinking about this issue of worship, we've got to appreciate and acknowledge that worship was never meant to be a Sunday thing. It was always meant to be a whole of life thing when it comes to worship church we're on duty we're on duty all the time and see setting aside time for worship is really really important for us regardless of what that looks like because god uses our times of worship to draw our hearts back to what really is important the things of first importance for us I want to read this morning from John 12. And this is the passage where Jesus enters Jerusalem. And it's the passage that we would usually preach for for, for Palm Sunday. And you need to bear in mind that that as Jesus enters Jerusalem, entering the city on an animal or on a chariot is an act reserved for royalty. It's It's an act reserved for an announcement of the kingdom that you live in has changed. The kingdom that you live in has different. I have, I have done this. I am the king. And it's, it's this demand of allegiance and worship. So there's no doubt about what Jesus is trying to accomplish as he, as he walks into, as he comes into Jerusalem. It's the culmination of his ministry to save the world. He's going to the cross. The really important thing to notice in this passage is the attitudes of the people to the arrival of their king. That's the, that's the really really important thing. Let's read from John chapter 12 and starting in verse 12. The news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches, went to the road to meet him, and they shouted, "Praise God! Blessings to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king!" Of Israel, Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus had entered his glory, they remembered what had happened and they realized the things that had been written about him, Verse 17, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead and were telling others about it. And that's the reason why so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing else we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Just for, for, for time's sake, I just want to combine some of these, some of these uh, the audience to this moment and talk about their reactions to when the king arrives. The first group of people, I think, is the spectators. I'm going to call them the spectators. If you glance back at John 11, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. So a good portion of the crowd here today are people who have seen this miracle happen and they're wondering, what, how do you make that? How do you improve that? What else can Jesus do? What's the next trick he's going to pull out? They're wondering, what is this guy going to do when he comes to Jerusalem? So there's a lot of people here wondering, what, who is this guy? And if you read the text also, there's the, there's the mention there that the, it's the Passover. So Jerusalem's population is, pro, is probably doubled in size. There's people everywhere. This is a public or, or, or a, a religious holiday. And regardless of which translation you, you look at, it, this story is reflected in each of the Gospels. There's one key word that probably exists in each and every one of them. And it's this word, Hosanna. The people come out and say, Hosanna to the King. Now, Hosanna simply translates to, for, for us today, please save us. Please save us. So see, The problem that this is this is not a problem, but but many people in this in this crowd are coming to Jesus worshiping, but they're bringing an agenda with them. They're they're hoping that Jesus is going to be the political savior that fixes this nation for good. They're hoping that he's going to throw out this bad kingdom, institute a good one. He's going to lower our taxes. He's going to make life better for us. And when it comes to worship, I, th- I think it's really, it's, really, um, it's really often that many of us come to worship with an agenda. We, ca- we come with a list of things we want God to do. And there's, there's nothing wrong with, with us bringing our needs before God. There's nothing wrong with us bringing those issues to him. But I just want to make a point that, that us, sometimes that agenda actually gets in the road and it, and it prevents us from worship. It stops us because, you know, Jesus is saying, worship me just because of who I am. Don't, don't bring your list, just bring yourself. You know, the people thought they needed a short-term solution that would, that would make things like peace and prosperity and temporary benefits. And the reality is, that a week later, because Jesus didn't deliver what they thought they needed, they were ready to yell, crucify him. And the key, church, is that Jesus is coming to do something far more significant. He's coming to do something far deeper. He's coming to proclaim that he is the eternal king. He's coming to say, I'm here to change lives from the inside out, rather than just change things on the outside. And that's the starting point for worship. The starting point for worship is, to, is for us to realize that we have that need for him to come in and change us. The second bunch of people, I'm going to use the Pharisees, pick on the Pharisees a bit. Lots, lots could be said about the Pharisees. But I would probably just call them self-absorbed, especially in this setting the comment that the, the world is going after him is really a reflection that they have lost their influence, they've lost their audience, and they're upset by it. You know, later in the chapter, John's Gospel says the Pharisees loved praise from men rather than praise from God. So, so, so by this stage, the Pharisees are really acting out of jealousy rather than a genuine concern to praise God. And that's a problem. That's a real problem because essentially the problem, the problem is sin. This is the problem that Jesus came to rectify. We, we humans were created to know God. We were created to, to, to worship him. We were created to live in relationship with God. And unfortunately, because of sin, what happens is we find ourselves in this life of, of self-obsession rather than rather than worship. And that's why worship is so important because a real lifestyle of worship exposes our hearts. Worship exposes our hearts. Worship exposes to us the things that are of ultimate importance that we need to keep at the forefront of our mind all the time. And if you just need a reality check sometimes in this area, a really good exercise simply is to just to sit down and honestly consider what, what things do you spend your time thinking about? What, to, what things do you spend your money on? What things do you spend your emotional energy and attachment in? And asking God whether those things are, are honouring to him or they're not. The third group I want to call the distracted. And it doesn't matter who you are. They, everyone in this city has heard that Jesus is on the way. He is the topic of every conversation at every coffee club in Jerusalem. He's the, coffee, he's the, the topic of conversation at every water cooler in every workplace. But instead of heading out to, to see him and finding out what this is all about, many probably in, in this culture there many, too, far too many people who are too caught up in what they're doing right there that they're willing to give up and demand their attention and they miss the opportunity to go and worship the king. They miss the opportunity. You know, the kids need to get looked after. The schoolwork needs to get done. The, the parents have work to do at work or at home or at work at home. The shopping needs doing, the washing needs doing, the food needs making, the, the, the sleep and the relaxing needs to be happening. There's this balance that has to be happening. And I haven't got time for this Jesus character. I don't know what he is doing. And I just want to acknowledge that, you know, that for many of us, our routines and our demands have changed significantly in the last couple of weeks. This sermon might not be as, as well structured as I, as I would like it because the kids were here a couple of days this week. And we're we're getting used to all these different things, but the key issue is is this church. We should never be too busy, or too relaxed, or too distracted that we miss the moment where the King wants to turn up. We should never be those people, and it's the same issue, is surprisingly, for the disciples. That the disciples have been busy. They've been arranging donkeys to ride. They've been handing out palm branches. They've probably been leading the cheer squad and, and heaps of other important jobs. But if you read the Gospel of John through, as we just did, in, did it in the Immerse thing, what you find is this line a couple of times. His disciples didn't understand at the time what he was doing. And later on they go, oh, of course, I missed it. What was I, what was I thinking? And maybe the disciples are too caught up just doing stuff for God that they miss the moment where the king announces his arrival. This is the moment that nobody needs to, nobody wants to miss. It's the moment that none of us can afford to miss. And... Can I just suggest that in this season of, of uncertainty, where all, where all of us are in this period of, of stuff we've just never done before, the really important thing for us to do is to carve out time for our King. Carve out time to recognise the King as he arrives. Especially in those everyday moments, the, just the everyday stuff of life that we fill our, fill our attention with, And Jesus says to us, I want your attention. I want your worship. And the reason I share this church, just to be really honest with you, is because that's what God asked of me last week. When I I sit down and read this passage, I I, I just had that conviction that, that even for me, I can never afford to be too busy doing stuff for God. I can never afford to be too busy in all these other areas of my life that I miss the moment where the king wants to turn up where the king wants to enter my life and where he wants where, where he invites us to worship and that's that's that moment you know I love this quote from a guy called John Ortberg I think it really just summarizes all the things that worship uh, goes on about I need to worship because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me and I can live in fear. Without, I need to worship because without it, I forget his calling and I begin to live in selfish preoccupation. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of gratitude and I live life with my eyes closed. I need to worship because my natural tendency Honestly, is often towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. Now, the, isn't it interesting that without worship, without those times of worship in our lives, many of us can can find it easy just to live in in periods of fear. We can li- live in periods where where we are preoccupied, where we are where we are sadly seeking our own glory rather than God's, or whether we are you know those those periods where we where we are ungrateful, and we just miss the moment where Jesus comes and just says, "I want to be with you, and I want you to I want to invite you to worship me." So how do, how do we as a church, how do we as people personally worship in this time when maybe we can't come together and sing on a Sunday the way that we the way that we always have? Well, you might have noticed that in each of these three examples that I gave, basically the solution to worship is the opposite of what these people have been have been doing. So for the first one, if, if our tendency sometimes is to be a spectator, the, well, the solution is we go to Jesus and we acknowledge that worship is not just a Sunday. It's, it's a practical way of life. It's a... It's a, it's a decision each day to take definitive actions to live out our worship and our faith to God. So we, we, we do practical things. We give, we serve, we pray, we choose to expose our hearts to God's word and his teaching. If we're those people that come to God with a bit of a list about the things he hasn't done yet, well, instead we change our, change our ideas and we look for opportunities to be grateful. We look for opportunities to be thankful for what God has already done and live in that attitude of worship. If we have that tendency to be people who are selfish, as I think you know, you know, all of us have that, we look for opportunities to love and serve our neighbour. We look for opportunities to love and serve the people around us. We look, for, look to the needs of others. We, we, we allow God's Spirit to convict us of the things in our life that are not honoring to Him, and we put it right. If we are those people who have a tendency to be distracted, like the like the like the um, like like God's disciples, even like Jesus' disciples, the solution is we make time for Jesus. We go for a walk with a friend. You can still do that right now. You now you can put some music on if, if that helps. Learn just to be present with God and make time to get out of the, the the, routine, I guess. Get get out of whatever routine you're in and spend more time in God's word. That's a good solution. Something else practical that came to me this week from an email from the guys from Fourth Musketeer. Here's what they said. They said, life seems right now like a bit of a an extreme character challenge, which, which our guys go and do on occasion. So their, their suggestion was, we encourage you to plan an evening alone this week with a fire, properly guarded of course, in your backyard and just enjoy a time of silence and solitude and prayer where we can listen to God, focus on him and where we can let him relight that fire in us if it's maybe gone out a bit. That's, that's how we worship in challenging times. We Or we we long for the day that we as a church can come back together again and be together. Our worship right now, today, every day, is just a decision to to draw close to Jesus. It's a decision that we spur one another on to worship in whatever way that looks like for us. We set our hearts and our minds back after him and we just go back to the heart of worship. We go back to the thing of first importance. And can I, just, can I just say right now that that's maybe the most important thing that we personally and as a church can be doing. It's the most important thing in, in uncertain times that we as God's people can be doing, going back to him and living, get, getting used to in this period of uncertainty to be living in relationship with him closely. I wonder if we could close our service this morning just by praying the words of that old song from the, back from the 90s. Matt Redman wrote it. And it's a really good prayer for us to be able to use as we consider what our worship is to God in this moment. Would you join me? God, the, when the music fades and all is stripped away, we are people who simply want to come to you. We want, to, we want to bring something of worth that would bless your heart. That's, that's our heart's desire. Lord, we, we acknowledge you as the king and that no one else will ever take that place. And we can't express to you how much we want to worship you, but God, things get in our road. And though I'm weak and I'm poor and, I'm, and all those things, the reality is that every moment, everything I have is is a gift from you. Every single breath is a gift. I'll bring you more than a song because a song in itself is not what you require. You search much deeper. You're looking into my heart. So God, today as a church, we are coming back to the heart of worship. We're coming back to the thing of first importance where it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. We're sorry, God, for the things that we have made it when it really is about a heart attitude and it's really just all about you. God, we pray that you might change our hearts, change our attitudes, help us to make adjustments, Lord God, in this time when things are different, to leave you as that thing of first importance, Jesus, the King, and that's all. Amen.